Effectively, this morning we're going to look at half a verse. And um, I've been looking at this over the last few weeks, and uh, God's challenged me in, in many ways with this. And we're just going to look at a couple of things this morning. But it's Proverbs 11, verse 10. But before I do that, I just want to tell you a bit of a story. It's probably a familiar story to, to some of you. Um, there's a story of a man called John Kirby, or Kirkby. And this man, John, he had a really uh, tough start to life. His mother was, had serious mental illness and was sectioned and had to go to hospital and was interned on many occasions. And his father died when he was quite young. And um, he had a very tough childhood, a tough upbringing. And as, a, as an adult, John married and he ran a business and he had children, all the normal things. And then the pain of all that stuff from the past... Well, it just caught up with him and he was unable, he found he was just unable to control the things in his life. And as a result, he lost his marriage, his business and his children. And his life was at this low point, this terrible low point. And at that point, he found, well, someone introduced him to Christ. And not only did he come to faith, but he started to adapt or adopt some of the habits that, and we've been talking about over these past few weeks. He started to learn the, the power of self-discipline. And he started to understand what it was to look like or try and live a, a righteous life. And he started to learn how to make friends with people who weren't going to drag him down. And get him to do things that weren't good. But actually with friends with people who would lift him up. And he started to exercise self-control and he started to master some of the appetites of his life and all sorts of other things. And he started to pay his debts and to manage his finances and live generously. And over a period of time, this, this change of behavior changed his life radically. And as part of his testimony, he says the last... The day, the day came when he paid off his last debtor. And it was such an amazing day. And at that point, he was full of celebration and joy. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, why don't you help others do that? And so he did. He started a charity. And as people say, the rest is, is history, so to speak. And John now, this is John, and he's the founder of... Uh, Christians Against Poverty, and um, this charity now works across the UK and now in other countries as well. It's been recognised by the government, by the Queen, by uh, many independent financial institutions as just an amazing work. And every year, thousands of families celebrate becoming debt-free because of the influence of CAP and the help they've received from CAP. And people not only become debt-free, but actually they become free from addictions and, and life-controlling habits. And it's just really remarkable. A whole life changed and changing others. Somebody whose life began in tatters, who got connected with Jesus, started to surrender to Jesus started doing what is suggested in this book that we've been working through this summer 
and find out that life has turned out pretty well. Not only for himself, but also for the good of others. So the proverb we're going to look at this morning is this. And actually we're only really going to focus on the first line. But Proverbs 11 verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Now as I said, we're going to just going to look at this first line of this proverb briefly this morning. When the righteous prosper. Well, who are the righteous? You'll be relieved to hear they aren't some super spiritual, holy Mother Teresa type people who uh, have given up, abandoned all worldly belongings and lived these incredible sacrificial lives. I'm sure I wouldn't measure up to that. and I know most of us wouldn't measure up. Simply put, the righteous are people who are living right with God. They've got their lives right. Because if you're going to live a life that makes the city rejoice, then you need to live a good life, a right life. If you're going to create joy within a city, not just Christmas cheer, but something deeper and significant, then the way to do that is to be righteous. Righteous with who? Righteous with God. Reconciled to our past, to our creator. Having made peace with him. We talked at the beginning of this series to understand what it is to live a life of shalom. Righteousness with God, peace with God. And as a start of that, being righteous to follow his ways and do things that would bless him and bless others. And the things that Proverbs Terry tell us to do, and this verse makes it very clear, that if you live this way, with the things that we've been talking about, your life will prosper. But we need to be careful because this verse isn't just, or it's not a quick or get quick rich verse, as it might appear firstly. Sometimes this verse has been used to justify certain things with regards to in the sort of prosperity gospel, and that's not what's going on here. The prosperity that's going on here is, is the facet of every part of our lives. Not just money, and in fact I'm sure it's pretty not about money all at all, actually. It's much bigger than that. It's prospering in relationships, in our working environments, in our communities, in every area of our life. And I think that's a theme that does run through the entirety of scripture, that over the long term... If we submit our lives to Christ, if we follow in his ways, if we live according to his will, there will be a sense of prosperity. Which first and foremost, though, is the sense of God's presence with us. Because that is the richest thing somebody can know. It's the most valuable thing. It's the most powerful thing. And often it leads to the blessing of others. Now you might be sitting here this morning a bit frustrated. You might be saying, well, to be righteous for God, I, I think I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And yet, 
my life isn't working out for me. It's not working out. I'm not feeling prosperous. And you might be feeling like that this morning and actually you're in good company because there's probably someone not very far away from you sat down this morning who's also possibly feeling like that. And one of the mistakes I think we can make is that we take a snapshot of life in an instant rather than thinking about life as a long-term thing, an eternal thing. Let me give you an example. There was a pastor, I remember reading these stories as, as a young man and being quite challenged. It was a Romanian pastor who was arrested and he was put in jail because of his preaching. He insisted on preaching during the times of the communist, if you like, population of Eastern Europe. And uh, he got put in jail. And uh, he got put in solitary confinement. And uh, he got abused and beaten at times. And uh, you could say that his life wasn't prospering. He wasn't prospering in his work or possibly in his family or in his community. But what was remarkable about Richard Wormbrand, and if you read his story, it is remarkable, is that the testimonies of the people who were his captors told quite a different story. They would say he was regularly up at three in the morning, dancing around his cell room, singing and rejoicing. They would say he just had this amazing sense of fun about him. And in their encounters with him, whilst in isolation. People said his tangible joy was so evident that he would, they would try and suppress it by not giving him food and not giving him the dignities of life. And somehow, this man just glowed. The jailers thought he was going crazy. And so they thought he was, because he was being deprived of food, they would give him more food. And um, he just flourished. And over the long term, he was released and he became an author and a speaker and he strengthened churches across the whole of Eastern Europe and actually across the world. Humble yourself, James says, under the hand of the Lord and he will lift you up. We have to try and measure our prosperity, not over the short term, but the long term. And the Bible's very clear, I think, prosperity comes in the presence of God. Sociologists of religion, they say this, they say there is a principle. It's called redemption and lift. Sounds like a, um, I don't know, a plastic surgery uh, term, doesn't it? Redemption and lift. They say when people make their peace with God, when they encounter his presence, they are lifted up. 
somehow, somehow, some way, their lives are lifted up. So the first part of this verse imagines God's work in people's lives working out pretty well. And as a result, the city rejoices. What does that mean? What's the joy this verse is referring to? To have joy or to to rejoice, you need joy. Is it just fun or happiness or hilarity? I don't think so. I think it's it's not happy birthday joy or 50th party joy or whatever. The closest I could come from my it's it's VA day joy. Perhaps some of you will have relatives who know what that's like or fathers or mothers that maybe experience that or maybe even some of you experience VE day joy. When the oppressor who is controlled and oppressed and well unexpectedly somehow there is a battle that's been won and the bondage has been thrown off and there is freedom. John Kirby is a great example of this. He knew that victory, that freedom, that vide joy, if you like, and it's released in him in deep and powerful ways, rejoicing, yes, but also he's now doing something with that rejoicing. And I think this verse poses a massive challenge for us. What will we do with the prosperity God gives us? Will we use it for the prospering of the city? Or the people around us? Or our town? Or the communities in which we live? What do you do with the prosperity that God gives you? In a sense, there's this command here, as well as, if you like, a piece of advice. Now, of course, there are a number of reasons why we feel like, well, we haven't actually got any time and we can't do any more. I'm just about hanging on with life and Lord, I just need your presence to survive. And some of us are overwhelmed with the business and responsibilities that we have with child, children, <laughs> families work which are sizable tasks and actually need time and effort and the bible tells us that's good to place our time and effort in those places and for other life others view life is difficult right now and perhaps we're carrying a whole lot of pain right now and we're just dealing with that on a day-to-day basis and it takes all of our time and energy just to get through the day It's pretty hard to look outside of ourselves and think about anyone else and how possibly we could benefit others. And the Bible says, you know, we should spend time on dealing with pain. That's why he actually places people in community like the church in order that actually there'll be others that gather around them and actually support them through and help them through. And family and all the dynamics of that and work and all the dynamics of that. And that's why the church is an amazing thing, because there are others here that can help you through whatever you're going through. 
But if we look at the book of Isaiah, and I found this immensely challenging. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 8. If we're looking for release, if we're looking for breakthrough, if we're looking for healing, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor, wander with shelter, see the naked, clothe them. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. I wonder if there's a a dynamic to that. I know there is. To serve others, to bring hope to the poor, It's in that that maybe we find our healing. Other of us might say, well, we're just too busy. and You can't ask me to do anything else. I'm doing too much. I've got so much on. And I'm not suggesting, actually, that you take on more things. Because actually what I'm really trying to suggest is actually there's a perspective or this is an attitude or this is a, a purpose that drives every facet of our lives. I'll try and explain this. I look around the room and I can see some amazing folk around here today. And I know some of you are nurses and some of you are doctors. And it's easy for you to understand possibly how your work might lead to the city rejoicing. We understand that those roles, those, those jobs are good for our communities other than you do other things, your teachers, your all sorts of things. But we have a, an understanding why that role, if you like, is good for our community. You might say this morning, well, my job actually doesn't fit into that idea. That, that framework of understanding there. In fact, I think my job's pretty pointless, really. Or actually, I don't think it's even that wonderful or wholesome or whatever else. With Jesus, the idea in some respects was that he just loved the person in front of him. The story of Christ's life was... He just loved the person in front of him. And then the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. And the beautiful thing about that is we can all have a go as well. And if we were to all have a go, every single one of us What might the communities around us do? If we loved the person in front of us, this last week, you see, I've been watching the children. And they've been loved by this just vast 110 volunteers, I think. They've been loved by this group of people just amazingly. And I think the community has rejoiced. 
In fact, I know it has, because we get letters and we get emails saying, we don't really get the church, we don't really believe with, we don't actually agree with all the things you believe, but we're glad you're here. We're pleased you're here. We're rejoicing that you guys are here. What an extraordinary thing. As we live out from this place of righteousness, as we live it out, as we live out this place of prosperity with the presence of God inhabiting us, as we live it out, loving the one in front of us, so the community, so the people we encounter might rejoice. And in an extraordinary way, our righteousness actually, this isn't being very theologically correct, becomes even more stronger because we're we're entirely righteous. Don't get me wrong on this. But in Psalm 15, look at this, what David says. This is amazing. If you'll go there. saying who how do i be how can i be holy how can i how can i live this righteous life how can i ascend to the temple only the righteous were allowed in the temple it says how do you do that love the one in front of us love the one in front of us not only does that affirm our righteousness but it makes the people rejoice. It can make our town rejoice. We're going to talk about what makes our town rejoice over the next months and weeks because we're here for the people in this town. That's, that's what we're here for. And as I read Proverbs, and I don't know how much time you've spent in there these last weeks, but as we've, we've gone through some of this stuff and we've, we've worked out and worked our way through some of these things, it continually points us to this cycle. In our righteousness, we experience the presence of God. We therefore ascend, or therefore we can go and we can love the one in front of us. And as we love the one in front of us, so they rejoice actually so our righteousness is infirmed and actually we can ascend the hill of the Lord again. And more of his presence. And there's a dynamic to this, which I haven't got time to go into this morning and I've already overrun my time. But I want to pray this morning just to close briefly that actually that we might know We've encountered actually this morning the presence of God. We might know the joy of that, the blessing of that, the benefit of that, in order that we might be those that make the city rejoice. Let's bow our heads briefly. Father, I thank you for, just thank you for your love for us this morning, Father. Lord, you long for us to be in relationship with you, to be right with you. 
You long for us to know your presence, to know your hand, your heart, your breath upon our lives. Father, I pray this morning that we might be people full of your presence. We'd never lose sight of your presence, Father. And in your presence, Lord. That we may love the one in front of us. Whatever that looks like. In whatever situation that we go into as we leave this place. And Father, as a group, as a body, as a church, that that may cause our communities to rejoice. God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. We're pleased they're here. Amen. Amen. Well, there's tea and coffee served. Oh, we're great you've been amongst us this morning. If you've been a visitor, then we'd, um, we're grateful for you being here and I hope you've been blessed by this morning. And if you'd like to talk to anybody about what goes on at the church and, and the things that happen during the week or other things that go on, then there's a welcome banner at the back and there'll be a couple of people over there I'd love to talk to you. But stop, stay, have tea, coffee or go off and enjoy the sunshine, whichever is your, your choice. Uh, bless you. God bless you. Oh, uh, if someone's feeling physical, then we have to move the chairs in the centre because they're replacing the carpet this week. We're hoping you'll notice there's a hole. So uh, if anyone's got any uh, strength left in them today, then uh, if they would help move the chairs, that would be fantastic. They just need to be stacked up at the sides. Thank you.